What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying times here. Come with me if you want to live. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. The Force will be with you. Always. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and we are continuing our Ghostbusters month. We're out there, we're busting ghosts, kicking ass and taking names across the paranormal spectrum. We've done our Ghostbusters retrospective, and I'm back for Ghostbusters 2. And I'm being joined by a friend of the show, action connoisseur, Max Byrne. Max, how are you doing? You all right? Yeah, hi, Scott. Yeah, I'm fantastic. Can't wait to talk about the much sort of underappreciated, but very much loved in my heart, Ghostbusters 2. Excellent. I'm glad you said that. I wasn't sure where this was going to go. <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting, Ghostbusters 2. People give it a lot of, uh, you know, give it a lot of sort of hate at times, so it's, you know, but we'll, we'll get on to it. Um, before we do get to the film, though, before we sort of get yeah. into it, there is one thing we're always going to start with. Um, you know, we are men of a certain age, and so we were there at the at original, at the, you know, the start of it. It's part of our childhood. Where did you first see the first Ghostbusters? And so what, what sort of part did Ghostbusters play in your childhood? Oh, massive part. Like, like you said, like everyone of sort of our vague age bracket. I went to see the first one at the cinema. I was only five years old when it mm. came out. But I, I distinctly remember my uh, father taking me and being absolutely bloody petrified <laughs> by it. Um, <laughs> specifically the, where Lewis and Dana turn into dogs. Mm. And then the, the, the bizarrely as well, the bit where Dana's rising off her own mm. bed where, where Venkman's there and she's yeah. possessed. That scared the living daylights out of me. It's one of my most distinct memories going to this local cinema in Bolton and watching that and, and just being absolutely terrified at my wits end. I mean, I was only five, for God's sake. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but like everyone, it just, it's, it, the whole Ghostbusters is a cultural phenomenon, isn't it? I mean, mm. it's just ingrained in so, into popular culture so much. I mean, my son is seven, as, as we record this, he turned seven yesterday, and he's 100% familiar with Ghostbusters and the franchise and everything. It is just, it just permeates into popular culture, doesn't it? And, you know, the, obviously the, the cartoons, when I was still at primary school, when the car, the real Ghostbusters cartoon was, um, starting yes. so appreciate that and then obviously as we'll talk about Ghostbusters 2 remember going to see that at the cinema so I would have been 12 or like that. Yeah, I would have been 10 when mm. 9 slash 10 when the second one came out so again prime age and it's just stayed with like I think it just stays with you doesn't it and, and obviously yeah. the fact that as we record this we're a couple of weeks away from the long awaited release much delayed release of course yeah. due to COVID it should have been last year of Afterlife but uh, all good things come to those who wait, I guess. Yeah, yeah, hopefully, yeah, I'm very excited. I'm very excited for it. I'm trying to sort of temper my, you know, expectations, not get too excited. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's you're right about sort of it being like permeating the culture. Like, there are certain things, um, as I've been doing this, I've asked sort of like, you know, people on social media or just people I know. And one of the things is there's a thing going around at the moment, you see it on memes, it's like pictures you can hear. And I saw one and it was Ecto-1. Yeah, and I was like, "Yeah, I that siren." I mean, um, you know, James mentioned it yesterday we were talking about Ghostbusters, to, uh, the first one. That siren is so distinctive, um, and like the sound of the sort of the the proton uh, guns as well. Like, 
there's just things in this that are just sort of like, yeah, they've like a sense memory for me as well. Yeah. So, like you hear it and you're just like, oh yeah, not just the song, but like specific things. Um, I'm really impressed you got to see it as a kid, like you know, being taken, like, you know, your parents raised you right. Um, <laughs> um, I, I guess so, it, yeah. I didn't see it, it was on video. Um, and I remember that you're right about being, you know, that thing about being scared, because that bit with, with Dana being possessed, it's like Exorcist for the for kids, isn't it? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, you wouldn't have, you would not have that in a, a fam, quote unquote family friendly film today. You wouldn't have half the stuff that was in that no. first one in, in a family friendly film today. No. It does not fly in this day and age, but that's yeah. what makes it so charming, I think. Yeah. Well, that's the 80s for you. Like the amount of mm. things that be like, this is a family comedy, and there's like boobs in it, and you're like, all right. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Boobs um, and swear words. And, that's right. And, yeah. Something for the dads. Hey, hey, something yeah. for the dads. Um, <laughs> But yeah, but you're right. But the, the scare, I always remember the, the thing that it sort of like, um, for me was the librarian ghost at the very beginning. Oh, yeah, uh, that sort of like, yeah, you know, when she comes out, like, <laughs> yeah. even like as a kid, that proper sort of uh, messed me up. Um, but yeah, you're right, and also, like you say, the real ghost, which you mentioned, and, and I'm, a, I'm a massive fan of the real ghost, but it's a great cartoon. But yeah, it was one of those weird things of sort of just permeated, and then it sort of you know, the toys as well. I had all the Kenner, well, not all the Kenner toys. I wish I had all the Kenner toys. Me too. Wish I'd kept all the Kenner toys because, you know, some Big of those... 80s, yeah. yeah. Yeah, see some of those originals. Oof. Um, but as you say, so there was a gap, five years, and then 1989, we get Ghostbusters 2. Yeah. Um, and to put, put things in context, people talk about, like, years. In, you know, like, oh, that, was a, that was a big year. For film um 1989 is a massive year for me like you I was i was sort of eight going on nine um that year and it's the first year i remember being sort of really interested in going to the cinema and i couldn't see it because i was too young but there was batman obviously there's the big thing yeah but at the same year you, you like you say you get ghostbusters 2 uh, uh last cruise indigenous last crusade back to the future 2 um, there's a lethal, lethal weapon, weapon, lethal, lethal weapon two, yeah, lethal weapon Lots two, of twos. Yeah. yeah. So it's the year of the sequels, um, but like, like massive like IP films coming out that year, loads of them. Um, and I just remember sort of, and Ghostbusters two was one of the ones I could go and see. Yeah. Um, even now, I remember being really excited to go see it. I had the sticker album, um, and you know all that sort of the the, the and anything that had the logo on at the time, like I'm pretty sure like there was Pepsi cans and all the other usual tie-in merchandise. So I mean, do you have any memories of like you know '89? I'm, I'm always curious sort of like people's recollections of those sort of film years. Um, oh ma- yeah, yeah, massively. I mean, I mean, I met. I mean, God, I'm going back 32 years here. Yeah, but I do, I do, <laughs> I do remember. Obviously, I remember going to see it at the cinema. I think. My sisters came this time because they were old enough by that point. They were like two and one, I think, when the first film came out. Um, so I think we went as a family. And I just remember being so excited to see it. You know, like you said, I had I had some of the kind of figures. I had Ray and mm. I had a weird sort of purple ghost with a big sort of eye in the middle of its you, you on it. a piece of, on a piece yeah, of piece string. string. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the one. I remember dropping hints for ages to my mum saying, I'd love a Ray Stance figure because Ray was my yeah. favourite. Still is. Yeah. And she, she came home. I came home from school and she goes, I went to the shop and they'd sold out, but I got you this instead. I was like, oh, great, thanks. <laughs> um, but, ev- ev- no, but eventually got the Ray. So I was, yeah. I was, very, I was very happy with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, just being so excited to see it, you know, at that, at that age, I think 
this and and back to the future too i think were the first time in 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 my life my in my sort of frame of reference that i was mm. really excited for a sequel mm. coming out i mean yeah i know indiana jones was out this year as well but i I wasn't quite, I mean, I, I am, but at that time I wasn't quite as yeah. keyed up for that as I was for these two, having because I hadn't seen the previous indie films in mm-hmm. the cinema. But I had seen Back to the Future and Ghostbusters in the cinema, so being very excited for both. And just, you know, just being ready for it and, you know, waiting to see what would happen. I mean, obviously it's, it's hard to imagine in the age we live in, but back then there was no spoilers, there was yeah. no, you know, massive trailers that gave loads of stuff away like there is now you know like three or four blockbusters get three or four trailers in their sort of pre-release life don't they and endless speculation what was going to happen it was just a case of going to see it not knowing a damn thing uh, and just being i remember enjoying it immensely and i still do I, I still love this film despite the fact that it doesn't does it measure up to the first one no of course it doesn't the first is an undiluted masterpiece in my opinion mm. uh, the second the second one isn't that but it's still a bloody good film. I think it suffers, it's a bit like Predator 2, it suffers in comparison to the first yeah, one because the, the first one is so good. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I agree with that. I think the second one's interesting. Who, you know, one of the things we talked about sort of when Ghostbusters 1 was about the pacing, about how good it is. You know, like they get to the first one, like they get to the Cedric Hotel at 30 minutes. And then the sort of the um the finale, you know, when all the ghosts burst out at the top of um the firehouse like that starts with 35 minutes to go for the ending that's you know so it's really well sort of like paced and i was yeah. really curious so as i was watching ghostbusters 2 i not timed it but i had the timer up on obviously the player and i was watching i was like yeah oh, they, they have got exactly the same same pacing so like you know is it a duplicate of the first film yeah in some respects there's a lot but of like, the same bit story beats in there oh, yeah there? but like the yeah. um um the the courthouse scene with the Scaleri brothers, <laughs> yeah, like, that happens at thirty minutes, right? And then when it all kicks off at the end, uh, when you've got again all the mayhem with you know the Titanic just arrived and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> about forty minutes or thirty five minutes just before the end. So they, they've timed it really well. I think it works great. I think I do love this film. Um, just to give people an overview. If you don't, if you listen to this, you really should know the story. Like you know, but we'll give a very quick context. The film takes place five years after the first film. And following the first film, they weren't a success, which is, an, which, is, which is another thing I love about this film. Like they're, they're not a huge success. They have been taken back down to low. They were sued by the city and there were a load of other people. Um, and they've all gone off to different things. You don't really know about what, what Winston sort of works with Ray doing parties, but Ray's also got his own occult bookstore. Uh, Egon has gone back to universities and Peter Venkman now has his own TV show, uh, World <laughs> of the Psyche, which we'll yeah. talk about. Um, <laughs> And during this time, Dana Barrett's uh, her son Oscar um, is attacked. I suppose is weird. It's sort of like, you know almost abducted uh, by slime, um, which triggers a series of events as they look into uh, a collection of sort of uh, emotion-based slime that's been growing under the streets of New York, which in turn is powering a painting of Vigo the Carpathian. Uh, and as he gains power, he's able to use his magic and powers, and he wants to take over the body of Oscar to be reborn into the 20th century, um, which is it in a nutshell, really. But yeah, um, it's it's th- this film has less edge than the first film is the first thing I want to sort of talk about. And I, I want to sort of you mentioned the real Ghostbusters before. Do you think the real Ghostbusters has a knock-on effect? 
to the way that this film was set up and made. Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah, because I think they, I think with this film they are trying to make it more family friendly, aren't mm. they? The first one. The first one has some quite dark humor in it at times. And yeah. Some quite some quite edgy stuff. Um, again, like we were saying, for a for a, for a PG rated film in mm. today's today's day and age. Um, so yeah, I think because obviously the, you had the cartoon that was out, which was you know squarely aimed at the, ch- the children's market, the the merchandise p- uh, possibilities. I think they wanted to make it more a, a family experience than the first yeah. one, which I think makes the film suffer in a bit because it takes away from what made the first one so magnificent, in my opinion. I mean. It, there's, there's some great humor in this film. Don't get me wrong; it's still brilliantly written, and mm. all the key, all the key elements there, all the key players are back from the first one, pretty much. Um, so it, it strikes all the right notes for me. But yeah, I do think that they they made a mistake in trying to make it more more family friendly than the first one, and and it didn't quite work for them because it actually made less money than the first one. It, it cost more to make, yes. and made less money, which kind of scuppered. I guess I'm doing a third one in any time soon after mm. that. Um, I mean, it was it was still a massive hit. It was still like one of the top ten films of that. I mean, like you said before, the amount of blockbusters that were out in '89, it had some stiff competition. Oh yeah, but it was yeah. still like a, a top ten film that year. So by no means a flop, but no. compared to the first one, obviously it's a, like the law of diminishing returns, isn't it? Yeah. So I'm not a huge fan. I mean, what are your thoughts? Do you do you like the fact that they they took that away and made it more of a safe? experience safe is a really good word to describe this film mm. um, you're right safe is an a- excellent description because the first film you have um you have this sense of um although it's, you know, it's all in the script but there's that sort of element of improvisation like these are guys they're comedians they've come from snl and and mm. um second city in canada so there was that sort of like dangerousness sounds wrong it's you know it's, it wasn't dangerous but there's sort of an edginess like you know like venkman um, you know, it's clear Bill Murray makes some of the jokes and they're like, I'll oh, keep that in, you know. And even like with the first film, like there's a whole joke about it's a cut scene, but there's a dream sequence where Ray gets a blowjob from a ghost. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you see you're like, all oh, right, that's weird. And as you said, sort of like the you know, not just the humor, but like the depiction of things like the gatekeeper and the key master and the, the terror dogs and all those things. Um, but the zombie. Taxi driver, even like you know, they're going for horror elements, like they're really trying for specific horror elements, and so it has that edge, as you said. And this just feels a lot safer. Um, the ghosts are more cartoony, you know, we mentioned the sort of the Scaleri brothers, they feel like they belong in the real Ghostbusters. Um, you sort of see that at the end of the film as well. Some of the jokes, you know, feel a bit more, um safe really i think is, is a really good word so this is i think it does suffer because of it um because i think you then feel that like the cast are restrained mm. um and i think it sometimes shows on bill murray's face a little bit um <laughs> but it, it's like you say it's not um it, it's not a huge detriment but it clearly sort of like you know you said one of those films and you go oh what what if they hadn't been so safe yeah um, I wonder, like you know, what would they would they have got? Um, I completely agree. But yeah, but there's still, like you say, but there's still some great things in it. And like you said, the humor, one of the things one of the things that saves these films, not saves these films, but really elevates these films, is the chemistry between the cast. Oh. Um, and that is there still in spades. Um, you know, talking about the courtroom scene, like one of my favorite 
I, I, I even used to quote, like, it's hard, it's not really a quote because it's three people saying it without do, re, egon. Like, <laughs> it's, it's just fantastic. Uh, and, and also, you know, a testament to sort of like Harold Ramis. Um, again, watching these back, um, you know, a question for you actually. So let's turn around actually, a question. When you were watching this as a kid, you know, who was, mm. you said like Ray was your, your guy. Was he that was, always the yeah. case? Was he always the sort of like the was sort of like the Dan Aykroyd race dance? Was your your sort of your boy in this sort of uh, in the crew? Yeah, I think so. I think because when I was a kid, he was the one I aspired the most to be. Like, mm. I don't think when you're, I don't think any kid aspires to be Egon. Do that? No, really. no. Kid, kids want to be cool. So it's either Ray or Peter Venkman, and Venkman was always a bit too. I don't know. When I was a kid, I, I wasn't interested in trying to be a ladies' man or, or anything <laughs> like that, or you know. I was because he was such a fraud as well, wasn't mm. he? When it came to when it came to the science thing, he didn't have a fucking clue. He was blagging his way through it, copying Egon's yeah. work all for all for university. <laughs> he did not have a clue. Where, yeah. But whereas Ray was like, he had all the knowledge that Egon had, but he was also a bit more of a less of a geek, if that's the yeah. right word. You know, he was. You know, he's still a com- complete sort of science nerd, but it was a bit. He was very funny and he's a bit more of a man of action than Egon. So that was why I always gravitated to Ray and still do. I, I mean, I think Dan Aykroyd is, is a comedy genius. You know, oh, it's yeah. a shame. He, it's a shame he doesn't do more than he, yeah. you know, he's, he's not very prolific these days. He does bits and pieces, doesn't he? I suppose mm. he doesn't have to. He's obviously made his money and he's, um, you know, north for 70 now. But I wish he did more because I think he's one of the funniest men ever to go on screen. Yeah. I mean, you know, Talk about after. I, he's one of the ones I'm very much looking forward to seeing again in Afterlife. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, see, when I was a kid, I was very much sort of like, and I think this was influenced by the cartoon. Like Peter Venkman was my was my guy. Yeah. And then as you get older, you do sort of realise that, like, yeah, he's not the aspirational character that I may have thought him to be when I was <laughs> when I was younger. And I do agree. I think Ray is 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 up there as my favourite. Yeah. Um, and everyone talks about sort of like Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd. Like they're the big. They're the sort of the big breakout stars like you know bill murray became the star of the you know one of the big stars of the 80s all those sorts of films you know, scrooged and um groundhog day like you know those are fantastic uh comedy films and then dan Aykroyd obviously went on and done um you know, done quite a few like some great films mm. their names that you know you know that, yeah. that go out there and harold ramis sort of ended up going behind the scenes obviously he wrote and directed uh groundhog day so you know huge did, comedy yeah. talent um, and it's when I watch these films back now as I'm older and I'm watching for the performances and I see these things, I realise, like, oh, how Ramos really knew what he was doing. Like, his, his subtle humour as Egon, uh, when he does that sort of do-re, Egon, and has that little smirk at the others, is so pitch perfect. Um, that, like you say, I watch it now and I'm like, yes, you're right, Ray is probably the aspirational character. But like Harold Ramis is the one I enjoy most on screen. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's, he's, he's Egon in the second one is a bit little less uptight than he yes. is in the first one. Like he has a, quite a lot more sort of gags in in the second mm-hmm. one than I think he does in the first one. A few more one-liners. I mean, obviously him and Dan Aykroyd wrote both scripts mm-hmm. in there as well. Mm-hmm. Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd wrote both scripts. Um, so I think he must have written a few more jokes in for himself. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, Egon's a bit more less sort of highly strung i think in the second one and has some you know has some great stuff and yeah. you know when he's when he's digging the the um 
when they first discover that there's something going <laughs> the street, on beneath yeah. the street and he's digging through like yeah. this and he's like going, yo, <laughs> when um, when the police are asking him why they're doing it. And yeah, he's, he's a very cool character. And he's, the height of his hair is very impressive as well in the second one. It really it's is. A, it's quite a construct. I'm, you know, I'm quite impressed. It's a, it's a testament to sort of uh, hairspray. I mean, that, that haircut in and of itself put a hole in the ozone layer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I did about half a foot onto his, yeah. uh, his overall height, I think. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, one of the things is, as well, watching it this time, and I get, no, I've noticed it a couple of times as I get, as I get older, uh, and we'll talk about sort of like, because they've obviously broken up, they've now leading and doing their own thing. Yes. And I, and I love what they've chosen for them to do. Like Yeah, me too. What, and And... Uh, in the past, you sort of I've looked and gone, oh yeah, like Pete's got his own TV show, you know, World of the Psychic, <laughs> which will, I, I I love that scene. But the one that sort of as I've got older, like you realise there's a bit more of a sardonic humour to is Egon's experiments. Like you know, you you see he's back in um, academia, like he's doing these proper psychological and sort of whatever experiments. Mm. And when Dana goes to see him, and he, she's like, "What are you studying?" Oh, the the uh, the physical, well, the, the effect of emotion on the physical surroundings. Yeah. And basically, he's got a couple. Right? This this is I love the fact he's got a couple that are clearly in trauma, like they're going through marriage counselling. But there's there's clearly like you know an element of sort of like you know I don't know trauma between the, these two people. Yeah, they and hate each other. Yeah, and he's making it worse, and then studying them through the glass. Yeah, and they says. At the end, can we see what? Let's look at the happy index, the happiness index. And it's a little girl, and she goes right. You know, she's been given a puppy, mm. and then as he leaves, as sort of Dana leaves at the end, he's like, let's see what happens if we take away the puppy. Like, it's <laughs> it's a real sort of like it's just an offhand sort of joke, but you realise like, yeah, he is no. Because you've always thought, like you said, you thought, like, yeah, back into academia, he's no better than than Venkman in many respects. Like he is, his ethics. His scientific ethics are probably questionable. Yeah, it's quite cruel, actually, isn't it? Yeah. The, the experiments yeah. he's conducting. It's sort of the next progression along from Venkman's electric shock testing that's my, at yeah, the start that's of the first one. Yeah, that's my it's point. Kind like, of, yeah. It's no different to that. Like Venkman's going, like, you know, I'm looking for the, the negative effects uh, of um, negative reinforcement, <laughs> effects of negative reinforcement on ESP. And, and there's Spengler going like, yeah, I'm looking to basically traumatise people to see how it affects the, the environment around them. <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. He's not doing it for the betterment of mankind, is he? He's not studying a cure for cancer or anything, anything no. you know, progressive and, and, and sort of benefiting the world, you know. But, yeah. Uh, it's very funny, though. It very is. Funny. It's hilarious. Um, but let's talk about World of the Psychics as well, then. So, you know, <laughs> what are your thoughts on World of the Psychics? Um, it is... A genius little scene. It's only like four minutes, three or four minutes, isn't it? So he's got mm. this sort of small time, like looks like a cable TV show, cable access show, World of the Psychic, where he has guests on who have, have had psychic experiences yeah. or psychic premonitions. And funnily enough, it was I didn't pick up on it, but my other half Sarah pointed it out to me after we rewatched it. The the guests he has on and the episode it shows them filming. The man who predicts the end of the world is a hundred percent right he is. because he says he says the world's going to end on New Year's Eve this year. Yeah, and the end of this film takes place on, on New, Year's New Year's Eve. Eve. And if it wasn't for the action of the Ghostbusters, the world in effect would end because Vigo would be reborn and then plunge the Earth into darkness. So that guy was absolutely a hundred percent right, and and, 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 and and they've ruined it for him in a way because it's the world never ended. <laughs> yeah. Mel Manglin, his name is, yeah, Mel Manglin. Um, yeah. 
I, yeah, and I love the fact that sort of like, you know, when he predicts it, because the timing of the film is, I think this film's supposed to take place over like a couple of months. So I think mm. it's supposed to start in sort of like October, start of October sort of time. Yeah. Um, and I like with Pete's like, you know, th- th- this year, you know, you, you're sure you don't want to be saying like, you know, 93, 94, like, you know, because you, you know, it's going to be a couple of years before you get the books and then the film option, like, you know, do you not want to be sort of edging your bets? He's like, no, I've just got this real psychic um, feeling that the world's going to end. And he's emotional. I love the fact he's really emotional. The world's going to end on stroke of midnight this year. And you're right. Like, yeah, yeah. It's exactly, it is. It's totally linked to the film. Yeah. Um, and, and this sort of links back to something they said that we were talking about when I talked about uh, Ghostbusters 1. And it's again that sort of story beats. Everything that happened in Ghostbusters 1 was destined to happen. Like it was fate. I've established in my head, it's fated to happen. Yeah. Um, because Goza sort of Goza was coming to Earth or trying to get into our dimension, which is what caused the elevation in paranormal activity. And the elevation of paranormal activity resulted in the Ghostbusters coming together, yeah. um, which results in you know the, the rest of the film. And this is the same thing. It's like, you know, Mel is getting sort of like a psychic sort of feelings off, I'm gonna guess, the the, the mood slime. Yeah. And, and he's obviously seeing what's going on. So yeah, I, I love that as a little fact. Um, and what I can't, it's, it's, it's the, the the woman, his other guest. <laughs> yeah, she had like um, a, she met a man in a bar and gone back to his motel room <laughs> yeah. and slept with slept with him. Where he told her the world would end on Valentine's Day in like twenty sixteen. Yeah, yeah. So obviously this is eighty nine, so it's in the future, and she's. Obviously, like Venkman's pulling her apart, saying, yeah. "You know, it's just was it just some guy you met in the bar?" And she's like, "No, he went back to his ship, but his ship was could have been disguised sort of like a room at the Holiday Inn or wherever it is yeah. he went back to." <laughs> I couldn't be sure, you know. And she's like slightly cross-eyed. This woman as well. It is just a brilliant little scene. It's so funny, and his sort of snide comments yeah. towards both his guests. The the, the although it's his show and it's how he earns his living, the sheer disdain he has for both his guests is just is palpable yes and then just the, the the random just the random little bit of business at the end where someone gives him a hairless cat <laughs> to hold in front of the camera and he goes on next week on next week's show hairless pets you know crazy yeah. or something and then you know, weird yeah. yeah weird that's it yeah, yeah yeah just tiny little throwaway line but just so funny um i just wonder how they, how they came up with just put that in yeah. you know having to have a hairless cat on set yeah. or something but, um it's great though i'd love to see a like a proper that's what I was gonna did say. A, if made like a you this age you could have done like a youtube series yes. like little little episode featurettes of, of world of the psychic peter venkman you know maybe be, maybe yeah. we'll get it in in episode in uh, afterlife maybe he went back to that you know who knows how good would that be that would have been a fantastic yeah. sort of uh uh i'd say at that point well, it wouldn't mean that point you wouldn't do extras really then there's no dvd so yeah mm. but that'd be the marketing thing now if they'd have done it uh, uh you're right about the sort of his his disdain i love the look he gives her of sort of like on his face, he's like, clearly you're crazy. And what am I doing here? Like, this yeah. is what this is what I've become. Um, it's yeah, it is. It's such a great um, like you said, it's just like a little vignette. And then that's the thing. It sort of it's it sits like you know like an SNL sketch, doesn't it? It feels like yeah. an SNL sketch. Um, and it's sort of outside of the film, but just works so so well. Um, Let's go to this sort of thing. Well, the other one is Winston. And one of the things that I want to talk about Winston, because I want to, he's part of the crew. 
and I often feel that like you know Winston gets forgotten, and I, you know, yes, um, massively unfairly because he's awesome in the cartoon. Um, Arsenio Hall did the voice, and they they really made them a team, and they give him a like, you know he becomes sort of the mechanic in the cartoon. Hmm. Um, but yeah, even in this one, even after all that, like you know they, they've done all this stuff, like Winston Zedmore still feels like a, a bit of an afterthought. Really. He doesn't come in until later on again. And, um, yeah, he's still part of the crew, but I don't know. I, I love Ernie Hudson. Um, yeah. And I actually think he's, he, I think he's better in this than he is in the first one. Yeah, um, definitely. Weird. I think his performances are stronger because I think he knows what to expect from the guys around him. Um, yeah. But I don't know what your thoughts are on, on sort of like Winston and Ernie Hudson. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things I wrote down when I was re-watching it was Winston's really short changed in this film. Yeah. Because in the first one, you can kind of understand it because he doesn't come into the first one until about halfway through when they're advertising for more mm. help because the workload's too big and he comes in halfway through. He's not like a founder member of the team. So you can understand him not being part of the main thrust of the first one. But in the second one, for a start, you don't really get to see what's become of him per se. You see him doing the kids' party with Ray. Yeah. But surely that's not his full-time job because they're just getting, you know, a few books on the side. Obviously, Ray has his occult bookshop. So mm. you never see what Winston's been doing to earn a living <laughs> in the five years. And then he he in the um he doesn't join in with them when they start drilling through the street. No. Like you think they'd give him a call and say, Come and help us, Winston. And then when they stand trial, he's there at the very beginning and he says, like, wishes them luck. He's there in his suit. But then you never see him again during the whole course of that trial. He, he and, and at the yeah. end. It, when they're being literally sentenced to, they get, I think they get 25 grand fine each and it's either 18 months or two years in prison mm -hmm. each. I mean, obviously things change with the judge rescinds it, but yeah. Winston's not even there for that, you know? So you just think, why, why, why did he turn up at the start of the trial and then never be there for the whole thing when his friends are go, literally facing jail? Um, well, yeah, so, this, yeah. That, that scene you, and you've, is, is a massive issue for me. Because again, that's sort of like... Well, you're right, but I mean, shortchanged short again is exactly right. Like, he's there to sort of wish him luck, and then he's not there to put the, the packs on. Where does he yeah. go? Yeah. Like, they, all of a sudden, like, he's not there. Like, if they had, and uh, I have my own headcanon for these things, you know, if you've ever listened to me reviewing a film, like, I have to, <laughs> I start to fill in the gaps. Because you see that the door's shut. You know, the door, they are trapped in there. In my head, he helped get people out of that court. Right, okay. So in my head, he's like going, right, everybody, you know, he's making sure that people have got out safely. He's doing the sensible thing of getting people out and doing that kind of thing. And then the door's shut and he can't get back in. That's how it, that's how I'm, I'm, I'm putting that in my head because that's what I think Winston would do. And it also explains why he's not there for that. But it does. It feels really shitty, really, to be honest, because it's sort of like, you know, oh, yeah, we're not going to put Winston back in this. Like, but he should be in that scene. Like, it's yeah. It doesn't quite make sense. I mean, from that point, actually, he's in it. He's pretty much... He's in it from he's, that point. He's, he's yeah. part of all team activities. He gets the moment with the, the ghost train going through him when mm. they're in the subway and jumping into the Slime River and all the rest of it. And he's, he's very much part of it from there. But, yeah, just that part of it doesn't make any sense as to why, A, he wouldn't help them dig the straight up. So then he could be on trial with the other three and it could be the four of them on trial rather yeah. than just the, the three guys. Um, but I, I don't know. I'd have to, uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd I have to a, ask. I'd love to ask the question. Yeah. Yeah. I have a feeling it's supposed to be because when they come out the court, um, you know, they've got the trap and it's very much meant to mirror 
them coming out of the ballroom with the Cedric Hotel, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I guess so, yeah. But even so, like, add in Winston will show the progression of, like, well, we were three back then and we're four now. We're, a, you know, we are a team. Um, yeah. You know, so, yeah, I, I, I do miss Winston in that point. But the rest of the film, you're right, he's in and he's he's he's, he's good when he's in it. Yeah. Um, But it's clear they don't see him as a draw, you know. At least he's on the poster mm. of this one. He was on the poster for two. He wasn't on the, the poster for the first one. Yeah, um, yeah, but uh, yeah, it, it is. It's a shame. It is. I would have liked to have seen him just played a bit more of a role and been like a, a an equal fourth in the team, yes. rather than it still being those three and Winston's the the hired gun, the, the hired hand, yeah. rather than rather than a four piece. Um, yeah, but you know, at least he's coming back for afterlife with um, the other surviving members. So hopefully, we'll we'll see more of him at least. Yes. No, yeah, yeah. And he had a good career. I can't sort of like fault, you know, Ernie Hudson's done some great films, especially in the 90s. So, yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's a shame. But let's, let's move on from that. Because you get you get the other guys, you know, you've got uh, Sigourney Weaver back, you've got um, uh, Rick Moranis back as Lewis Tully uh, in, a, in a great scene. Like I say, that, that again, going to the courtroom, seeing him sort of like, you know, uh, the, the, Ray has a great line because he says, um, you know, I'm not sure we, I, I do what, a bit of probate. I've got my I got my law degree at night and Ray's like, mm. it's all right, Lewis. We got arrested at night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They do, they're, they're just so resigned to the fact that they go into prison, aren't they? Because <laughs> yeah, they, they yeah. know they've got the shittest lawyer who doesn't yeah. know any, anything about the, the legal system. And they've been caught bang to rights anyway. They've got no, they actually have no argument over that. No. Talking about the paranormal, which no one buys into, and they can't prove it at that point anyway. So they just—they are literally resigned to the fact that <laughs> they're going yeah. down. This is one of the things you've just made it about. They're not able to convince people, right? This is one of the problems with these films, and it happens with a lot of supernatural films that have sort of like you know big endings or something. The last film ended with a hundred foot Stay mm. Puff Marshmallow Man climbing up a skyscraper in new york city that's five years ago mm-hmm. and like the guy when they when they go on trial and you've got the firstly the judge is like i don't believe in ghosts you like, hang on <laughs> you live yeah. five years ago they were all over the place yeah. um and then like you say even the sort of the subway guys like yeah i've been working sort of transit for you know for 40 years i've never seen anything like that yeah all right but you still know that these guys did all this stuff. Like, you know. Um, yeah. And so I, I'm always baffled by that. That, like, you know, they're like, then how can people not believe when you're sort of like, um, however, I do think I get a feeling from something I saw for Afterlife. I think some of that, some of that is going to be addressed. Because um, James made a good point yesterday when I was talking about Ghostbusters, was no one else is up on that roof with them. Yeah, all you see no. is obviously you see the staple from Marshmallow Man, and then that's it. But you, they don't see Gozer, they don't see what they do. Mm. Um, so uh, yeah, it's just interesting that they're sort of they're so easily sort of convicted though after everything that's happened. I know it is kind of ludicrous, and and it's yeah. it's kind of ludicrous what the how they ended up getting sued left, right, and center for property yeah. damage at the end of that first one. It would it would be like suing the Avengers for the events at the end of the first <laughs> Avengers film yeah. when New York, again New York gets destroyed because they're saving the world from an alien invasion, and so in the Ghost of One they're saving the world from a yeah a ghostly invasion, whatever you want to call it. So 
why why sue them for property damage? It's it's bizarre, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. But at the end of and at the end of this film, obviously in the credits, it shows them getting the key to the city, doesn't it? Yes. So it'd be interesting to see how that plays out in the new one as to what became of them. Because the, it's kind of alluded to, I think there's something in the trailer for one of the one of the trailers for the new one where no one no one kind of remembers them, and I think mm. it shows Paul Rudd's character saying, "Look at this in the '80s, New York was like The Walking Dead," and it's showing some footage on YouTube of the Ghostbusters. Yeah. So it's interesting to see why in the 30 years since the world has kind of forgotten about it. It's you know it's crazy. Yeah, it's yeah, especially because of the the finale of this one as well. Like you know, again, big thing walks down the street. This one's that the, the new this other one pretty rememberable, you know. And this everyone's mm. like, I was really pissed on that New Year's. I think I saw a Statue of Liberty walk by. Maybe wrong. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, very true. But let, let's talk about the villains. I'm gonna say villains in this because there's two. Of the, uh, but the the you've got. Um, let's talk about the, well, the art, the museum. So you, in that stage, you've got um, Vigo, the Carpathian, uh, and Janosch. Um, the museum, the museum sort of the art lead or curator, or whatever. What are your thoughts on on those sort of like you know, especially uh, Vigo as the main villain? Um, I think Vigo's quite a, a decent villain. Um, it, you know, it's like it's the guy. I don't know the actor's name, but he's one of the henchmen in Die Hard, isn't he? You know, yes, big statuesque guy, Eastern Eastern European looking guy with a big blonde mullet. Um, although his voice is Max von Sydow, of course, mm. isn't it? Which, which I'd, for years I didn't know that. I just assumed it was him. Um, but and I did read somewhere actually that um, that get, the actor didn't know that they dubbed him with Max von Sydow until the premiere. Yeah. And when he watched the film, so he walked out of the premiere because he didn't know they'd overdubbed his voice. I mean, he was, a, he was what, Darth Vader. He was Darth yeah. Vader. <laughs> What a shitty thing to do. I'm mean, not to dub it because you know Max Mosquito's got the the great voice for this kind mm. of thing, but not to tell the guy till he's at and not till he's sat watching the film. It's a really shitty thing yeah. to do. Really. Well, because he's, he's 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 German or something, isn't he? I think he is German. Like a, yeah, 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 yeah. Very thick German accent. I think from what I've read, I might be wrong. Like they were getting the dailies back, and they were they were like, "This isn't working." Like he's got the look; like he looks ace. Like mm. Vigo has got a great look, but they were like, "This isn't working. We need to get somebody in to do some um, dubbing of this." And like I say, they managed to get Max von Sydow, um, the great Max von Sydow, to do it. And he has got a great voice; like it's sort of like you know, he really does sort of churn through some of that dialogue fantastically. Yeah, he only recorded it in one day as well, apparently. One day really? in a recording studio. Because if you think about it, he doesn't have a huge amount of lines of ego in the no. film. Um, but yeah, Von, Von Sydow literally went to the studio, laid it all down in one day, done, dusted. Dad Bob's your uncle and probably got paid very handsomely yeah. for it as well. You know, good luck to him. Yeah. Well, the guy, the guy knows is, you know, he's, he's one of those, Max Von Sydow as a side note, he's one of those sort of like, Secret nerd kings, isn't he? When you look back at mm. all the things, he'd be like, you know, obviously The Exorcist, but then like Ghostbusters, Flash Gordon, mm. uh, Star Wars, he's appeared, in, you know, he's appeared in all these things. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, what do I think to say? Bill and Ted. Um, yeah, but he's been in loads of things. But um, oh, yeah. I, I, I think v, I like Vigo. I like this idea of, of the villain being an actual ghost this time you know and a, a possessed painting is always like a, bit of a creepy it's like a creepy pastor isn't it you know you sort of you have and you hear all these stories about yeah the haunted a haunted object haunted item hmm. um so i do i do love the the whole vigo thing and um janosh you know <laughs> he's great um i forget his name now peter something other but mcnichol uh, peter mcnichol peter mcnichol thank you yes yeah, yeah. 
Um, he's really good in this. I, could, I, I, I knew him from this before, sort of like, obviously like Ali McBeal and, and mm. he's been a load of other things. He now, whenever he turns up, I'm like, I know you from Ghostbusters too. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just, I just, I do like him in this as sort of like the new, he's like a creepier version of Lewis Tolley, you know, coming on to Dana. Um, he is magnificent. Yeah. I absolutely love Do- um, Dr. Janusz Pohar to give, <laughs> to give his full title. He is, he is hilarious in it. He's one of the funniest characters in the entire, entire franchise. I just, I just think he's brilliant. And I love the snide humor that Bill Murray puts on him when they go to the, um, go to the museum, obviously to investigate. And he's, <laughs> and he's just constantly like, you know, keeps making references to him not being able to get a green card and all yeah. this. Let's say, where are you, where are you from? Where are you from? The he's upper like, vest oh, side. The upper vest, the upper vest side. You know, <laughs> when he's, you know, his name is Doctor Janosch Pohard. He's got yeah. the most thick, like bad European accent ever. It's like, what? Come on, where are you from? Um, but yeah, he's he's superb, and he's you know he's great as um, you know you feel a bit sorry for him in a way because mm. he's not he's not a bad person actually mm-hmm. he's, you know he's, he's a bit of a creep and he obviously fancies dana but you know he's not really doing much harm he's a decent bloke and happens to get possessed by the, the yeah. painting and, and becomes like this reluctant henchman but you know he, he, he's not a bad soul is he really and obviously he gets his gets his uh sort of redemption at the end i suppose but um yeah yeah he's a, he is a fantastic character i absolutely i absolutely love him um i, I could watch those scenes all day brilliant yeah i, I love the fact he goes all in because yeah because you know you'd have someone you know he's very sort of pantomime and stuff but mm. it works it works because i think he doesn't he knows where to draw the line but also in doing that like you say, when he becomes possessed he has what i consider to be one of the for me at least one of the scariest scenes in this film and also one of the weirdest um, you know, so Peter Nichols, when, he, when, when it's in the blackout, uh, when it's actually the, you know, Ray kicks out the power to most of the yeah. city, which is one of the main reasons they sort of go, they, they get on trial. Yeah. When he goes to see Dana and she's like, no, 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 we're good, we're good, you know, bye, and shuts the door and, and his eyes light up like the front yeah. of a bloody van, just his, his yeah. eyes light up like headlights. And then I was like, oh, that's a good trick. And then it moves and it lights up the hallway. Like that. As, even as now, like watch it proper creeped me out as a kid. Like I really creeps me out. It's a great effect. It um, is. It stands up quite well as well, doesn't it? Consider mm. it. It, it. You don't look at it and go, oh, "Get the state of that." It really does look. I'm really quite impressed how they've done it. I don't. I don't know how they've done it. I don't know. Yeah, it but does look right, good. It, yeah, it looks great. It's, a, it's clearly a practical effect because it's lighting up the hallway as he looks around. So yeah, it must be mm. like a headset. Or I don't know. But the other one, of course, is he steals or he kidnaps Oscar for oh, uh, yeah. Vigo. And yeah. it's the fact that he turns up as a ghost, which is a fantastic sort of, I don't know how he does it, but he turns up as a ghost and it's obviously like him, it's Janos, but dressed as a sort of a Victorian nanny. Yeah, pushing a pram, yeah. That 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 did creep me out actually as a kid. I remember because because when he he when it shows up in his face, he's doing this kind of like demonic grin yeah. kind of thing. When when his arm like extends Stretches. out like like Reed Richards and gets yeah. Oscar Oscar off the um the uh, window ledge. Jesus Christ, that did scare me as a child. Even now, when I watch it and looking at him, sort of he's play that creepy music and you see him coming across the sky, mm. like flying on flying. He's like sort of. I think he's like riding a bike, but pushing a pram in front of the bike or something yeah, through the sky. Weird. The motion's yeah. really weird on it. Um, yeah, yeah, but that really, really used to creep me out <laughs> as a kid. Yeah. I have no idea it, why. 
Yeah, I'd like. I'd love to know how they came up with that as well. Like, right, right. so we're gonna have Janos turn up and take take Oscar, and he'll be in some kind of ghostly form. I know. Let's put him in drag, make him look <laughs> like, like you say, like a Victorian nanny, and he can fly, pushing a pan. Pamph- yeah, let's do that. That sounds. Um, that sounds spot on. That's what we're aiming yeah. for. I want it that. Is- I want. I want that Mary Poppins look for for Janos Poha. Yeah, it is bonkers, but it is great. Yeah. It does it does stand up. That's I still get sweaty palms actually watching the the kid stood on the. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Although it's, obviously it's clearly like because he's a baby, he wouldn't be able to even, yeah. even be able to stand up like that anyway at that age. But it's just like oh god, it still goes through me now. It's it's, it's very well done. There's some bits of this yeah. that are really well done. Like there's mm. the thing is watching special effects from the eighties. You know, they don't all stand up but they often have a practicality and a charm that I really sort of appreciate. Um, you know, and, and we, when we're saying that this film was safer, we've just looked at like, just list off a couple of things. Because <laughs> oh, the other yeah, thing, like you, you, you mentioned um, the train, the ghost train that goes, that, win, that goes, Winston goes through. Mm. That is quickly followed by, or actually I'm not sure if it's pre- uh, followed by or preceded. I can't remember which order they're going. Basically, severed heads on spikes. Oh yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, yeah, that is again. You would not get that in a PG-rated film in nineteen no. two thousand and twenty-one. No chance. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like they're surrounded by them, and obviously they disappear and stuff. But yeah, yeah it, you know, it's not. It's this is the element of horror that they are. They're keeping that element of horror in it. That is, um, you know, it's still safer, but. It still, I suppose it still has an edge. Um, yeah. But let, let's uh, let's let's get to because we've gone. The, the other thing I like, I'm going to go through to the other villain, as I put it, is the slime itself. Yes. And, and this idea that this mood slime, this this sort of ectoplasm, has been growing under the streets, generated by the negativity um, of of New York City. <laughs> um. And it's it's an odd film. It's an odd choice to make because New York in the eighties was known to be like a dangerous place. It wasn't the sort of the tourist attraction that it is now. That sort of came, you know, well into the nineties. Um, and you know, I like the mayor's reaction. Like he, you know, there's almost like this sort of thing of like, yeah, New Yorkers are gruff and they're they're they're, they're, they're willing to be assholes to each other. And even the mayor's like, it's every New Yorker's God-given right to basically be an asshole to other people. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. He's like, what am I supposed to do? Tell people to be nice to each other? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, that probably would help. Yeah. Um, but it's an interesting theme to have, like this thing, sort of like you know, you're talking off the eighties, which has been this you know, massively sort of successful decade, hugely. Obviously, you know, you had Reagan, and it's been um, you know, hugely conservative, but you've still got this sort of this theme of like negativity um, yeah. generating and sort of coming back to sort of bite people is, is a really interesting theme to have in a Ghostbusters film. Um, it is, yeah. It kind of feels kind of oddly prescient today, though, doesn't it? Because you think there's so much negativity in the world today, mm-hmm. never mind compared to 89, that, you know, there's so much sort of bickering in the world, so much bad sentiment. There's so much. There's so much divide in the world, right? Yeah. For, for, for Whether it's political divide, racial divide, whatever it may be, um, class divide, it's all there. So you think if that was happening now, that slime would literally be out of control because there's the, the world is a lot more negative place now than it was then. It'd be interesting, you know. You could you could make that concept in a film now and have it play oh, yeah. out 
and yeah, it would be either. even it would be even bigger. It was yeah. kind, kind of kind of an interesting concept, kind of ahead of its time in a way, isn't it? Yeah, I agree. I, I definitely, I definitely think it was, like, yeah, if it was now, we'd be wading through the slime. Like we'd be up to our knees in it. Um, but yeah, no, it is. You're really right. And I, that sort of crossed my mind a little bit towards the end of the film when you have um, uh, Winston, Ray, and, and Egon sort of they go for a swim in the in the slime. <laughs> they get pulled into it, in the, and they get out. They start having a go at each other. And it's this idea that like not only can you sort of psychoactively influence the slime. And we'll talk about that in a minute for, for good and ill. Um, but it can affect you. So if you're covered in it and it's pot, it's negatively charged, it can make you, you know, aggressive and combative and argumentative and that sort of thing. And so there's a lot, of, I think, you know, there's this thing of like, I wish they'd played with that more. Yeah. You know, like had scenes of like um, people being influenced, especially at the end of it, you know, because you see all the chaos comes on, like the woman's fur coat comes to life, the Titanic <laughs> returns, and all this other stuff. Like, yeah. but I want to see people like being horrible to each other, but being affected by the slime, you know, like yeah. a Patrick Bateman like murdering a, a homeless person in the corner because of the slime. That'd have been sort of that'd been creators. <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's an interesting concept to say, sort of like, especially a kids' film. Again, this idea of sort of like, you know, you've got, but then it comes, I suppose, as a positive because it's about being nice to each other. Oh, you've got to be nice to each other, and you've got to do, you know, uh, this thing. And I like the idea yeah. that there, there is this sort of unifying figure again, which, which again would be interesting to play out in 2021 because this idea that the Statue of Liberty, which is bring us your your, you know, it brings your like the huddled masses, basically. Ellis Island, this idea of opening up to sort of immigrants. Not sure it'd play today. I don't know if that would work. <laughs> yeah, but. yeah, it's an interesting one, that, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's a nice concept where it's kind of positivity will win the day, isn't it? Mm. Because that's ultimately, that's what turns the tide, because all is kind of lost at the end, but giving the people something to rally behind and, and, and spread a wave of positivity to counteract the negativity. It is a nice message, but yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying. Actually, it'd be interesting. I think, I think now it would be really hard to find something that everyone could get behind because everyone's so divided now yeah. in, in what people stand for. Everyone wants to be offended by something and there'll be, you know, there'll be people who, denigrate the Statue of Liberty and don't don't agree with what it stands for mm -hmm. as much as people who do agree what it stands for. And because everyone for whatever something is in the world now, there's people who can't wait to find a reason to want to cancel it or all the rest of it. Yeah. So it, yeah, it would be very difficult to make the ending to this film now because what do you what do you do to unite a divided city that's full of hatred and negativity and shit? how do you do it you couldn't do it like that now could you that's no for sure. no it would be easier basically to, do, to sort of unify the people in hatred right let's find something everybody yeah. hates we're going to walk through the city in a giant jimmy savile and uh, everybody's going to hate on it <laughs> um yeah i don't know it's, it's an interesting sort of thing like if you watch this now you say it, it couldn't be replicated today it just feels now like say, of its time um, but the positivity again, this is one of the jokes we talk about this sort of being safe. And again, I never got this joke as a kid, right? It's one of those kids, it's sort of like, you know, for the dads, hey, eh? for the dads, is when they talk yeah. about positively charging the slime, hmm. 
and they talk about his, you know, Ray's like, well, we, you know, we talk to it, uh, you know, say nurturing and reassuring things to it. And we sing to it. And Peter's like, you're not sleeping with it, are you, Ray? And Egon sort of goes, yeah. <laughs> he's like, you hound. Oh, it's always the quiet ones. And then I'm like, for years, I was like, I don't know what that means. Like, even as a kid, you're like, oh, that's sweet. He's, you know, he has, a, he has a nap with it. Now I'm like, oh, no, no. Like, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that's not something I want to think about. Like, how, I know, what? yeah. The mind boggles, doesn't it, yeah. as to what yeah. he was actually doing in bed with us. You know, was he literally just cuddling it like a little pet dog or something and stroking it? Or was something a bit more special going on between Ray and the slime? Who knows, you know? Yeah. yeah. He does take a, a bit of a bath in it at the end as well when they have to spray him down when he gets temporarily possessed as well. So yeah. I think there's something very special going on. Maybe maybe in the third one we'll see. Maybe Ray and the slime live happily ever after. Say, there's like, little, there's running, little, little slimettes running around, little babies. Yeah, there. exactly. He, he made the slime a, a, a co-manager at Ray's occult or something like that. What, you just mentioned about Ray being possessed. One of the things I want to, I want to just quickly mention is... Um, and we talked about it. it happened in the first film and it happened with the, in the second film as well. Mm-hmm. There was a scene cut from the first film uh, where Winston and, and again, it's, it's fortunately it's a Winston scene, but Ray and Winston go to sort of investigate a Fort Denning, um, which is what led to the scene of Ray being sort of sexually assaulted by that ghost, which they yeah. then they reduce down and you just see that, you know, his fly being undone and stuff is part of a dream. Yeah. You see it as a dream sequence in the in the theatrical version. But originally, yeah. there's a whole that's a, that's a whole uh, scene yeah. uh, with that in. Second film, in this film, you see a scene where um, the you they use it in the montage when they sort of like you know we're back and they have the whole montage of the combat. And there's a mm. scene where you see Ecto One pulling in front of traffic. And then you sort of see uh, Peter in the back of them going like looking at the cars like jerking all over, and you see sort of Peter looking out from the back seat over the front seat, and they sort of they play it for laughs. It's played. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That scene is reduced scene because that's originally played after the um, they go to when they go to the art museum, and you know they're taking the photos of of Vigo and Ray gets sort of like uh, he's got some monitor there like a PKE reader. Mm. And he look, he gets stuck into a trance, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. In the original version, and this is a scene that was filmed, um, Ray is possessed. And then when they're driving home, Ray's driving, and he starts driving like a maniac and starts trying to run people over. Right, right. Uh, and they say to him, he says, if you don't stop, you're going to kill someone. And he says, no, I'm going to kill everyone. And Winston has to knock him out, and they pull and they drag him out of the car. And he, he gets he goes back to normal, but like yeah, it showed this little bit of him being possessed by Vigo, which is why right. he is susceptible at the end. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so it obviously had a payoff, but yeah, so that, that was interesting. Sort of that they they cut it out because they sort of I think when they showed it to audiences, kids didn't get he had been possessed. Yeah, yeah. Just like Ray's was... gone mental. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why would he turn heel like that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it does play. I'm going to show you something in a minute. But it does. It, it, it is in um, the adaptation. They, they obviously did a novelization. Yeah. Uh, which I've got. I've actually. I've just been. I've, I've got the uh, the novel. You know. Oh, you know wow. But also, yeah. the Ghostbusters two comic. Oh wow! And it has. It was with the real Ghostbusters. Right. So it's the real Ghostbusters, but it's the plot of Ghostbusters two. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
It was good. Right, okay. And there's yeah. a scene yeah, where um, they have Evil Ray. I can just sort of show you that just a bit of it there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, possessed, possessed by Vigo. So, yeah, I, I think that's kind of cool. My, my copy's a bit battered, but um, yeah, I just think that's a really cool thing. Like, yeah, there's these little sort of scenes of, of you know, it doesn't, I haven't seen them anywhere. I've never seen it. That, I've seen the, the Fort Denning one from the first film, but I've only seen a really rough cut of the Ray scene. I haven't seen it as an X or anything, I believe. Um, so, yeah, this is a bit of a side note, really. Um, but we've talked all around the whole film. I think we've talked about most of it. But is there anything else that sort of jumps to you that you want to talk about, sort of like, you know, pick up in the film? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what I was saying before about, like, like, it follows a lot of the same beats. I mean, you know, being sort of dragged before the mayor and, mm-hmm. you know, it, the, it, it's weird how the mayor is so reluctant despite what he went through in the first film and, and <laughs> you know why you know why he would be so dismissive of them and not want to sort of look get say right let's you know let's sort this out guys and you know the, the guy who's obviously he's not the same as William Averton's character but he's like this official government uh, local council type isn't he who he performs like the, the same the, role doesn't he yeah of, yeah, yeah he's like the yeah, get some get some locked up in the asylum. Mm. Obviously, in the first film, they're in a in like a jail cell, aren't they? So mm-hmm. it's kind of the same thing. And then basically, they get let out because you know the mayor sees he literally has no choice. It is literally kind of the same story. Mm. There was an interesting little bit actually I read, and I've again I've never seen the footage, but they cast um, Eugene Levy, Levy or Levi, however you pronounce his name, and he he played a guy at the asylum and it's Lewis Tully's cousin, somebody yes. called Sher- Sherman. And he's instrumental in them being released from the asylum. Cause it shows when it shows them being let out of the asylum, Lewis is right there, isn't he? Which you can mm. understand. Cause he's their, he's their lawyer and would probably have to sign some legal document to, you know, expedite their release or whatever. But yeah, supposedly his cousin, uh, Eugene Levy was, and, and, and they just never, they cut it out for whatever reason. Yeah. I've never seen the footage, but no, I've would, I'd like to have seen what that, would have entailed, you know, would he have like, because he couldn't have broken them out because they would still have to have had the government escort mm. and the mayor, the mayor and all the rest of it. So I'll be interested to see what, you know, whether you have forged some documents or something well, to I don't know, say. The, the, yeah. yeah, well, they're, they're released on the, the mayor's orders, aren't they? Um, yeah, Because yeah. the mayor's like, you know, get me the Ghostbusters. Um, yeah. I wonder if he played sort of someone who works at the mayor's office. I mean, it would be fantastic if you had Eugene Levy playing like yeah lewis is lewis tully's cousin but he's like got his shit together and he's really sort of like you know might look a bit geeky but actually he's got his stuff together works for the works for the the mayor's office against lewis who's like you know got his law degree at night school um that'd be quite an interesting comparison to have those talking but yeah there's because eugene levy was from second city as well so he came up through with sort of rick moranis as well um so yeah, that, I'm not sure if they're on YouTube. Actually, those little bits and pieces. Yeah, yeah, I've never never seen them. No, I also quite like as well the 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 sort of the state of the Venkman Dana relationship by this point mm. as well, because they end the first one as sort of you know they become an item as such, and obviously you discover it it went horribly wrong, and she ended up. <laughs> marrying some other guy and having his child obviously she's now separated from this other guy she said he's like gone to work for an orchestra in europe or something so she's like a single mum now and you just wonder because she is in the next film as well mm. how how they bring her into the next film because because she's not a ghostbuster so is she did her and venkman 
make the relationship sustain after the second one? And did they bring up Oscar together? And will Oscar be in this as a as a thirty something year old? Who knows? I don't know. You you're right. It is interesting. I like the fact that like it doesn't work. This idea of it's heavily you know happily ever after. Like mm. you know, um, Peter does go through a a redemption arc in the first film and becomes less selfish and all sort of thing. But yeah. I kind of like the fact that like yeah, he's still a jerk. Like, you know, the relationship didn't last because he was difficult and thought he was funny and all this other stuff. And she went off and, and you know, had a life for five yeah. years. Um, I do wonder about the timing, though. Like, how long was she with Venkman to then meet somebody else to then um, have got married and divorced and had a kid? Like, five years yeah. isn't that long. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't have been together too long after no. the first film could they a year tops a year yeah. absolutely tops really because you to have a child pregnancy and then the child's age that's two years pretty much gone and to have been with this other bloke presumably for a bit before then so mm. yeah her and Venkman wasn't a, a lasting relationship no, no. But, but obviously by the end of the second film they're very much back together again and he's sort of saved Oscar's life so you know maybe he's going to be the surrogate father for Oscar and that but you do wonder how that relationship evolved over the years and yeah. I, 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 I don't think he's a keeper he's a, he's a Peter so be interesting no. to see what how they played that one yeah I'm, I'm true well let, let's let's get into that then one of the sort of you know I think we've talked to sort of the, through the film let's now talk speculation because like you said Ghostbusters Afterlife is coming in a couple of weeks yeah. and we're already talking about it, and you know is Oscar you know is Oscar Barrett uh, gonna be in the film is something I, I am curious about um, but what? But what are the things that you thinking? What's your thoughts for this? For you know, afterlife. Um, what are you expecting? What are you looking forward to? I think I think they've done very well to keep a lot of it under wraps, haven't they? I mean, they've shown no. There's been no set photos or of of the original lineup at mm. all. You know, they've not been in the trailers apart from. Um, Ray answering the phone at Ray's occult shop. Yeah. You see his hat. You see his hand and yeah, his yeah, voice. Yeah. You don't see him. They've, obviously, there's been no Venkman or Winston or Dana. Janine's been in the trailer a little bit, hasn't she? Sort of showing the Egon's family around mm. his home that he's left them. Obviously, obviously due to how Ray is no longer being with us. Egon's dead in canon because mm. obviously he, he got, he's no longer around. Um, so they've done really well to not give them too much away and especially in this day and age where mm. everything everything gets spoiled and leaked and all the rest of it there's been nothing has there so i'm really impressed with that i really hope that the original lineup don't just come into it for the, like the last you know the last 20 minutes or something like this i hope i hope they get something substantial i know it's not about them as such because you know they are older men now they're all in the 70s at this point you know mm. including you know Sigourney weaver's in the 70s too and it's about this the younger generation now i suppose but i do hope that they get something substantial to do and yeah. it isn't just a it, the equivalent the equivalent of the people the heroes coming back through the portals at the event end of avengers <laughs> endgame i hope it's not that where they turn up just as all seems lost and they walk in with the packs on and the the overalls. I hope they're given a bit more to do throughout the course of the film. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, I, you, I totally agree. I want them to be sort of like a part of the plot, like them being into it, you know, needs to be, I want it to be a substantial handover. Like you say, not mm. just them turning up at the end and going like, you know, well, you whippersnappers, you, you know, you're clearly the next generation off you go. Mm. Um, 
yeah, I want it to be a bit more. Like, you know, as you said, you know, in the trailers, we've seen uh, Dan Aykroyd's arm and him answering the sort of, you know, you know uh, we're closed, say, in, in mm-hmm. the court bookshop. Who's calling him? You know, is it is that sort of, um, is that someone calling him or is it just a cut, you know, is it going to cut into a scene of someone coming into the shop? I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I mean, I'm curious as to what is the trigger that brings them into the story like does someone go get them you know is, is it and does Annie, Annie Potts but does, you know does Janine go get them does this I don't know it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it all pans out um definitely yeah it's 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 so shrouded in mystery isn't it you know but yeah. I like the I like the fact that they are tying it in because they've said that this this sort of backwater town that the, the film seems to be set in where obviously Egon had a house which he's obviously died and left to his daughter and mm. obviously he's gone on to have a daughter in the that we never How? knew about How? like yeah. well, she must she must have already based on the time frame yep. she must have already have been alive before Ghostbusters 2 because I... she's not she's too old to have yeah. been born after the film so where's I... the daughter come from right. I I think Okay, and this is complete speculation. I've no, yeah. you know, this is me. I don't think intercourse was involved. Right. Okay. I think this is something at the university, and he made a donation. Right. Okay. Yeah. You know, and I think it's going to be one of those where he's, you know, he was, he was like a surrogate, not a surrogate, yeah, like a surrogate, like a donor father kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And she had some sort of relationship with him post that. That's been awkward. But I cannot see Ray, uh, Egon forming some sort of relationship. I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't feel, you know, valid mm. to me. I don't know. But I think it's a donor thing. I think he's made a donation purely out of almost like an arrogance. Because I think there is an arrogance to Egon of like, you know, well, my genius must be my de- my seed is it, you know has my genius gene. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I must spawn a legacy, and you know, yeah. Exactly. Go beyond my go beyond my life kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's gonna be something like that. Um yeah. but we'll we shall see. Yeah, yeah. I'm interested to see what became of because obviously we know like we've been discussing at the end of the first one, they get sued for property damage and they're banned from being Ghostbusters and they go off and do these other things. Obviously, like we said in the second one, they're heroes, they get given the key to the city, so they're not mm-hmm. treated with the same disdain. So a how was the world kind of forgotten that they ever existed and you know Ray's clearly still running Ray's occult bookshop so what again what became of them that's what I really want to that's what really intrigues me there's 30 odd years there of story to fill in for these characters I love I just that's what I'm really excited for to see what the through line is from two to to this one yeah well one of the interesting things has been there was a recent film that did something similar um Bill and Ted face the music. Right. So in that, you know, the, the, the end of Bill and Ted's bogus journey is them playing like, you know, the gig of their life at a school disco, but it has like yeah. all this stuff going on. Yeah. You know, it actually introduced like death and they've got, you know, like it's, it's amazing. It's awesome. And then like you say, like 30 years later, it's like, Oh yeah, no, that was, it was just this one little thing. Um, and it makes you wonder sort of like, you know, this is a different continuity, like Ghostbusters is a different universe in that sort of you know, 12 to hours. But if you think about um, this, is a, 
it'll be a touchy topic, but say 9-11, for example, like not this was the this year was the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Yeah. And um obviously you and I both in British, it's not as big a deal to us, but I can still remember yeah. where I was when the planes hit the towers. Snap, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But there are kids, obviously, you know, your son's seven, you know, my daughter's eight, no clue. No, no clue. And it's sort of it's one of those where sort of like even older kids, kids that were sort of probably in their mid-teens now, that were still born after it, are just like, yeah, you know, I'm not I know it happened, I'm sort of vaguely aware that yeah. this thing happened. Um, but like, you know, it doesn't really impact on me. And I'm like, yeah, but we were the the, the West was at war with the Middle East for like 20 years because of it yeah yeah so i can imagine there being this thing of like yeah there was this thing in the 80s um we know i'm sort of vaguely aware that the stories of the statue of liberty walking down main street whatever and yeah but no it's not taught in history it's not prominent news i'm sure there are people that do know about it like you know paul rudd's character clearly knows you know yeah because it shows him saying that, you know, you can, it was crazy in the 80s because obviously yeah. he's, he's a middle-aged man. So obviously his, his, his memories of the 80s are very vivid. So he's like showing them, isn't he, on YouTube saying, oh, back then New York City was like the walking dead and all yeah. this, you know, and yeah. So he, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that story's kind of got lost in time, yeah. Yeah, sort of that news cycle, how other things have just taken taken past it. So I do, I do agree that's going to be interesting. I like the look of the new cast, though. I like this idea of having kids. You know, it gives you the longevity for a career. Clearly, yeah. it does sort of like you can't get away from the stranger things. You've got Finn Wolf up in there, so you can't sort of get away from that. But um, I don't know, it's just, just the trailer has a level of fun that I'm like, uh, the, the, you know, the, the legit fun. It doesn't feel saccharine, it doesn't feel forced, it feels like legit fun. Yeah. Um, then that's sort of what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, me too. I hope they, they, I hope they keep the same elements of the score, the iconic bits of score mm. from the first two films. I hope they keep them in as well. Just, you know, just to give Nuts. it that auth- authenticity to the franchise. Yeah. Uh, yeah. shows that through line, you know. I mean, I remember what, the very first teaser trailer for this new film, before anyone really knew it was happening, um, they put it out and it was literally just a, a shot of it going into a garage, wasn't it? And the, the barn, a ca- yeah. And the, tarp- the wind's blowing and the tarpaulin blows up and you see it's the ecto. Mm. Uh, to one under the tarpaulin and that's it nothing else that's all you get to see but it plays some of that score from the yeah. first one and it's straight away you know exactly what it is that's you know it shows how again it shows what we're saying <laughs> how much it's permeated into popular culture that you know as soon as you hear it's not the ghost it's not ray parker jr ghostbusters it's just a bit of score from the film but as soon as you hear it you're, shit ghostbusters yeah. you know that 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 video is 15 seconds long right mm. and I, I know it's because i watched it repeatedly because I'm, I'm, I'm a freak. <laughs> but like you say, nothing was announced. Like no one knew this was in production. It hadn't been announced. It was in production. Yeah. It, it just sort of dropped. And all of a sudden it was just on there that there's this thing. And like I say, it, zo- it goes into a barn and then sort of the wind pulls back the, the canvas and it reveals Ecto with the, with the symbol on. And I remember like literally getting goosebumps when that happened and being like, what is this? Like, what are they doing? What is it? And they were like, yeah. we're working on a new film and just being like, oh my God. Like, you know, and it was such a perfect tease, as you say, just that enough where you're like, I know nothing about this, but I'm super excited. Um, 
because it had that same sort of that there's elements from the first film. Um, as always, you know, I think there's things I like you said, but I'm trepidatious about. I'm still nervous to see sort of like I don't want them to lean too much onto nostalgia. I want them to be just get good balance. Um, but but also I'm interested as well. The one thing I'm really fascinated by is as you said, this is in a backwater town. Uh, and they've all been in the city. They've all been New York-based up to now. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see how this works and plays in small-town USA. You know, is it how is it going to be different? Yeah, um, yeah. So... I mean, it, yeah, there's something I, I read, and it's great. Again, it's great sort of continuity to the law is that that town is supposedly built on a mine that was owned by Ivo Shand is it Ivo Shandor? E Evo Shandor. Evo yeah. Shandor, who is a, a name synonymous with, the, even mm -hmm. though we've never seen him, but his name is mentioned all the time, isn't it? So again, it's that wonderful continuity and link to the law, isn't it? Well, it goes, the one thing again, I'm, and I'm guessing, I'm, you know, I think it's quite informed guesses, having watched the first film, they talk about the structural integrity of the building, of Dana Barrett's building, and the, what they've made the girders out of, some sort of like alloy you know, it's like no one makes buildings out of this. Yeah. Um, and like, so, you know, is this the mine where they were mining the materials to to make these girders, to make this building, to be this, to right. make this temple? Yeah. You know, so there's stuff like that that I'm really, yeah, I'm, I think it's going to be, like you said, there's going to be this little like going back to that first film. Um, but I kind of like these things. These things are like, they're calling them like legacy calls, you know, where films that sort of go, like Halloween, you know, the Halloween and, and Halloween and, you know, like Blade Runner 2049 and, and these films where they're like, yeah, there's a massive gap. And now we're going to go back and see what's happened in this world. But we're going to tie into that previous film. Yeah. Um, you know, there's been some really good examples of that. So I'm, I'm quietly confident. Um, you say about how they've kept this under wraps. One thing I should say is this has been shown to a number of audiences already. Like it was shown mm. at a Ghostbusters convention in... I think September. Mm. Um, you know, it's got. I think there's a press screening was last night and stuff like. And people really seem to be respecting, like the spoiler stuff. Like no one's coming out. Like all the little mini reviews I've seen have been very respectful of like you know yeah you're gonna love this or do this but there's no one going you know you're gonna see this or whatever. Mm. Um, and I think that's kind of cool. So it's yeah, it's quite refreshing, isn't it? Because you know. All, all the other block, you know, the, the Marvel films, the DC films, all the big, the blockbuster franchises, they do get spoiled, don't they? If you go on yeah. social media, there's people posting things saying this is what's going on. James Bond, I mean, don't want to say it for anyone who's not seen the new Bond film, but there is a pretty major occurrence at the end of said film. And that was everywhere on Twitter. Within two, within two or three days of that film coming out, like it was people yeah. talking about it, like everyone's seen it. And I, I hate that. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's, I mean, it, but obviously, it's a huge talking point mm. as to what happens in that film. It's it's very groundbreaking for a Bond film and, and what happens to happen. But it, people need to just be a bit more respectful, I think. So it's very like with this film, it's very refreshing that there's been next to nothing out there about the plot or anything. So I'm I really do like that. For the first time in ages, it's going to be great to go and see a big blockbuster franchise film and know next nothing. to nothing about what's going to happen yeah. so fantastic i've sort of brought down the girders now i'm sort of like you know the shutters are down i'm mm. yeah i don't need any more trailers i don't need any more clips or anything like that's it i'm 
I'm going to see it. So like, don't let me say I want to go in as, as sort of fresh as possible. So mm. very much looking forward to it. Anyway, we, I think we talked about that film as well. So good speculation. Well, you know, we'll come back to you once. We'll, I'll be looking for your opinion once we've seen the film. <laughs> final question of the evening then, as we come in for the final recording. And I've been asking this of, of all my guests in the Ghostbusters month. Max, do you believe in ghosts? One hundred percent, yes. One hundred percent, yes. What I don't believe in is kind of these ghost hunter, most haunted kind of TV <laughs> shows. I think they're, I think they're really making something out of nothing. Yeah. But I do. But but yes, I firmly believe in in ghosts. When in the first film, when Janine reads that list of things to Winston, saying, "Do you believe in da 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 all these things?" At the end, he goes, "Yeah, if there's a page can it, I'll believe anything you say, love." My answer to all of those is yes, because I just <laughs> I just love to believe in stuff. So, yeah, a hundred percent believe in ghosts. Yeah, I've never, I don't believe I've ever seen one per se. Um, that you know, I've we do hear strange noises in this house at night and things like this, and you know, I've heard the odd footsteps on the landing, but the kids are in bed and we're in bed, and the cats are locked in the kitchen at night, and you're thinking, shit, what the hell is that? You know, um, and. So, yeah, I firmly, firmly believe in ghosts, 100%. Yeah. I, I, I think I did tell you once I did see some ghost cows. Did I tell yes, you? I think you I, have I think told I did, about that. I think I did mention it, yeah. It's, it's a weird... I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll keep it very, very brief, but years and years ago when I was a teenager, still living at home, obviously, as teenagers do, and my parents had gone out for the afternoon somewhere, so it was only me and one of my sisters in the house. My sister's three years younger than me, so I would probably have been about 15, 16. She would probably hmm. be about 13. And we were in the house one day and where we grew up was a very rural area in the countryside, mm -hmm. um, farm, farmland nearby the house. So one day we were in the kitchen, which looked out onto our sort of the, the back of the house with the, with the lawn area and what have you. And 100%, I looked out of the window onto our back and there were three or four cows on our lawn. Cows, right? Now, normally think Jesus Christ, but it, we thought, well, they must have literally, because there were farmer's fields on either side of the house, right? Mm -hmm. so we thought, ah, they must have stumbled through. The gate must have been left open on the field, and they stumbled through onto our drive and ended up on yeah. our lawn. Shit. Uh, I'm going to have to go out there by myself and kind of try and shoe, shoe them, them off, yeah. right? So in the time it took for me to put my shoes on and go to our back door to go and get rid of the said cows, we're, you're talking five to eight seconds right nothing right, more yeah, than, yeah. nothing more than that right so i literally bent down put my shoes on uh my sister's like freaking out a bit so i'm thinking what we're going to do here so i put my shoes on got to the back door opened the back door out onto the um sort of patio which led onto our lawn and there was nothing to be seen literally nothing to be seen so i even thought Right. Well, okay. Maybe they just literally sprinted out, and so I looked. I went <laughs> down the. I went down the side of the house to the literally the only place they could have gone to. Right, and there was literally neither sight nor sound of them. Right, it was. It was literally as if they'd never been there. Now I know what I saw, and yeah. my sister. My sister knows what she saw, and we still refer back to it to this very day. But it definitely happened. So Crazy. how do you how do you explain four, three or four cows yeah. on your back lawn? right being there and five seconds later not there now i wasn't seeing things because how do two people see the same thing at the same time independently of each other because i think it was she who went oh max look out there quick and i went oh christ so 
there's definitely there was whether they were ghost spectral cows or they were abducted by aliens <laughs> i'm not entirely sure but i know what i saw and i know what wasn't there when i went out to to the back so do i believe in ghosts 100 percent, yes i yeah. believe in you know i'm not sure if i believe in the afterlife and 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 the traditional concepts of heaven and hell and all the rest of it i'm not too sure about that because i've never seen any evidence of it yeah. so i'm i think that's a, just a, that's a leap of faith so maybe maybe not who knows but i do definitely believe in the existence of spirit specters that kind of thing how about you that, yeah. no, I, firstly i love that story about the cows <laughs> it's 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 so it's so just sort of like just, just like legitimately weird because yeah. it's, 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 it's that thing of often people report things like, you know, there's a, there's a person in the back street, you know, there's a shadow person, or there's, a, there's a figure in the back garden. But like cows is just sort of like, you know, then they're not like a, it's a weird entity to be like, yeah, there's, there's cows. Yeah. And like you say, you and your sister see them independent of each other is, um, is, is that qualifier, isn't it? It's not, it's not just going yeah. like you saw them and she's like, well, go sort them. And you're like, well, she didn't see them. But, no, it's a fascinating story. Like you know, I, you mentioned it to me when I talked about glitching the matrix. You know, this idea of just something bizarre, yeah. like something weird, has gone like, yeah, like it's gone like, oh no, there shouldn't be cows there. Reset. You know, we'll we'll fix that. Um, yeah, no, it's a great story. I, I I love that story. It's a fantastically weird story. Uh, do I believe? Um, yes, I I do. I, I do. I'm, I'm much like you. I think you know. Um, I've only ever had one incident or you know encounter i've never seen never seen anything but i've had an encounter sort of again sort of when i was at school um we i went to Camden court in coventry and it's, it's part of mm -hmm. it's a big old house it's it's um it was run by the singers that made singer sewing machines the singer bikes nice. so it was just you know, all the history was there and that sort of thing and so one year my sister again my younger sister actually was there she's a year younger than me and uh, so she was coming up to the next year in school so that you know they have the open evenings where you can come in and have a look around and so yeah me my sister and a friend of mine at the time Stuart Bentley were like oh yeah we're going to show you the, we're going to show the English department everyone was just knocking around but there was no one else in the old house so we went in there and we showed my sister the, the classroom and stuff I don't know particularly why we're going to sort of show I think she'd asked sort of like you know where we have lessons and stuff so we would have shown random parts shown mm. her in this English this English class and there's a corridor and it had two classrooms right and the end of the corridor is a fire door uh, and this fire door goes to like that goes out to a fire escape, and this fire escape uh, went down to like a locked door, so you could only open it from one way. The way sort of this mechanism worked, you could only open it from me being in the stairwell to go out. And anyway, we were in this, we were on this corridor, and all of a sudden, this fire door just starts shaking like absolute mental, like absolute madness, you know, just yeah. crazy. And we all sort of like as kids bricked it and ran out. And me and Stuart sort of like quite far ahead of my sister got out. And when my sister came out, she was in floods of tears. And all she said to me is one of you pushed me. And I was like, no, we didn't. Like we were ahead of you. And she was like, right. someone, someone pushed my back as I was leaving that corridor. So she, she obviously believes probably, but yeah, that's the only thing I've ever had as well. So, but I'm like you, I, th I definitely think there is something more, what, how that works, what the, the bureaucracy is of all that. No idea. I'd love to know. I'd love to just unlock the secrets. You know, I, I'd like, again, I, I believe in everything. So I'd like to think there's some redacted government files on, yeah. on spirits and things like this, you know, it, it, to go, along with aliens and monsters and all the rest of it. Um, but I'd like to think that there's some real hard evidence because a lot of it's hearsay and all these ghost programs of people recounting what happened to them. 
but that's just like me and you now recounting something that happened. We're not showing you what happened. We're just telling you a story of something that happened to us. So it's anyone can, can do that, can't they? But I'd love to think that somewhere there's some irrefutable hard evidence. It's got to be. There has to be. I, I I agree. I'd love to see it. You know, I'm a big, I, you know, I get footy in times. I'm, I'm fascinated by all that kind of stuff. So one day we may be, and we'll, then we can, you know, we'll, you know, I can, I can don the, the flight suit and Ghostbusters is, is going to be a real thing, but we shall see maybe in the future. Anyway, Max, thank you so much for coming on to talk Ghostbusters to me. So I really enjoyed talking this, um, but before we get into the sort of the final thing, um, where can people find you and where can people hear you as well? Uh, give us a pop. Um, yeah, you can find me on social media. I'm on Twitter at Maxi Byrne, which is spelled M-A-X-Y-B-Y-R-N-E. If you go there, there's links to the different websites. I do sort of comic book reviews and the likes for, check them out. And then there's a link to the Comics in Motion network feed as well, which my podcast can be found on Mandatory Marvel and DC, which got your grace with your presence uh, previously. Um, so check that out. Uh, it's at Comics in Motion P is mm-hmm. the Twitter page for it. And uh, it's on all podcast ca- podcast catching apps. If you just search for Comics in Motion, you'll find it. And my show is on there along with a litany of other great shows. There's something practically every day of the week dropping on there. Uh, whatever you're into, I think you'll find something to your liking, whatever it may be. If you're into fan of genre stuff, um, so please do check it out. Yeah, uh, links to Comics in Motion is obviously below uh, in the notes, as always, for these guys. But yeah, go check it out. Comics in Motion is sort of like... It's just one of the strongest network channels, I think, on for sort of like genre and nerd stuff. It's absolutely fantastic. Whole bunch of podcasts on there now. Um, it's uh, every day. It's like a, it's a it's a carnival. It's a circus of delights. Like if you don't like one thing, well, the next day there'll be something else. I guarantee you're gonna like. It's a it's a fantastic. I love the stuff that comes up on there. Um, but ladies and gentlemen. If you like this, if you like what we're doing on 20th Century Geek, get on your podcast catcher, leave us a review, four stars, five stars, I don't care. Just give us your feedback. Those reviews help us get up the charts. And if you really like what we're doing, if you enjoy what we're doing, go check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash 20CG Media. There's a link down below. I do a weekly podcast with uh, my sort of my US brethren, Julian Darius, as we talk about tw- the Twilight Zone. And we've got 30-minute thoughts once a month and all loads of other stuff on there. Uh, and also just some little announcements, behind-the-scenes bits and pieces that are going on with all the other little projects that we've got going on um, in 20th century, 20th century Geek Media. So go check it out. So thank you very much, anyway, for listening. And Max, as always, it's a delight to have you on the show. Um, thank you. Thank so you thank you for much. coming on. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. And uh, we shall be again. But the next one's going to be... Well, the next review is going to be Ghostbusters 2016. And I've got uh, another Comics in Motion uh, member, uh, Rhea Carrigan, coming on from Femon Film uh, to talk about Ghostbusters 2016. So, ladies and gentlemen, I shall see you soon. Mm-hmm.